When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. Your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at the hockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Leaf Sky, Season 2, Episode 3. Thank you, Mike Ross, for that fine intro. Jim Taddy with you for the next half hour or so. Our guest today is David Alter from the Hockey News. Before we get going, NFL fans hungry for a big win this week? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Winner, 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 chicken dinner. It's that simple. Oh, yes, guys. Sportsbook isn't available in your area. DraftKings will not leave you empty-handed. Everybody can play for huge cash prizes all season long with the DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the call to action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code THPN. What is it again? THPN. Bet just $5 in any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with the promo code THPN. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for complete details. All right, to the hockey story. Leafs winning Wednesday night in Chicago, but it was 3-2 in overtime. Another bad start. This was a this wasn't a road trip. It was a woe trip. In Pittsburgh, a loss seven to one. They looked totally disengaged, totally discombobulated, and struggled again the following game in Carolina. Although they there was more of an effort, but they still had a bad second period. And Wednesday night, they eked out an overtime win over a team that has not won a game this season. Saturday at home to Detroit, and then next week at home to Vegas, Tampa, and Boston and Los Angeles. This stretch of games will be crucial to the future of this hockey team, and that's not an overstatement. More people than me will say that. What am I concerned about here? Well, there's a whole bunch of things. Uh, lack of a forecheck, not responding to the forecheck on, in their own zone, which has been a problem. Um, defensive zone coverage, not good. The breakout, not good. Uh, there's a lot of issues here. And the team chemistry overall, I, I've said this before, looks like they're reading a bad script and they don't want to ad-lib. It just doesn't look like a good fit here. So we'll see what happens going forward. But in the meantime, this is a conversation with David Alter from the Hockey News to go over a lot of those things we just talked about. 
All right, David, let's start with the travel stuff. I mean, you were in Pittsburgh, Carolina, and Chicago. What's that like? Well, um, so I had a sneak peek as uh, just going on a vacation to the U.S. in August when it was a lot more lax. And so it was very much the same kind of deal. You do go into different pockets of the United States and you do see the attitude with COVID and the mask mandates being very different. But, um, you know, uh, apart from having to wear the masks and what the NHL has for COVID protocols and, and whatnot, it really felt like normal to some degree. I mean, the, you know, you're going out and stores closed a little bit earlier when you go out after games. Uh, it, 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 it resembled more like normal life in the States than it did here in Canada. So, so that part was interesting. But um, apart from some of the other logistical stuff, like just making sure you get tested before you go. And then uh, now I was actually, I, when I cleared, even though I tested and everything, I had to do secondary screening because it's just random. They may give you a test on site and, and I was randomly selected. So that that's another thing, you know, you have to add in terms of your, your travel of just making sure when you can get home and do things, it's just, it's a lot more time you have to buy yourself whenever you go and do these kind of road trips now. So that was, that was interesting. But apart from that, very therapeutic. It felt nice to be back on the road again. And, um, and, you know, seeing the players face to face and, you know, you're seeing the players in a setting that's not their comfortable setting because not their home. And so you're a little bit closer that way. So it, it helps build those relationships, even if it's casually in the hall, hallway or in the dining room area. So that part was was good. Yeah, just one, one more on that. I mean, it is confusing sometimes when you see Coach Keith without a mask on and the home team coach with a mask on. I, I don't know what that is. It's just weird. Yeah, so the protocols there, like I noticed that too. In the States, like the NHL has what's allowed in the States and what's allowed in Canada. So any game in Canada, they all have to wear a mask still. But when they're in the United States on the bench, they don't have to. So that's why you saw Keith without a mask um, in in those games in the United States because he was permitted to not have them. Uh, Same with the backup goalie. Like he didn't have a mask on and. Um, some of the other staff, medical staff did, but it was their choice, really. And so it's just not required in the United States in areas where there is no mask mandate. So that that's really what it boils down to. Okay, so let's go over their last, let's do some math here, five games, starting with the loss at home to the Rangers, which is a game they've lost many times over the years. It was a you know, a, a, a seat squirber that they lose in overtime on a weird play when they controlled the faceoff dot. So I didn't, I didn't worry too much about that. Uh, San Jose, later that same week, they just didn't have it. The next night in Pittsburgh, they absolutely didn't have it. Had a bit more against Carolina and um Wednesday night in Chicago, it was a slow build. This is what, what strikes me about all this is, is I don't know how they got back. They always seem to go back to this this spot where they're just uh, trying to piece it together. I don't know why they disintegrate. I, I, I don't understand that. There's a lot to unpack there. So uh, starting with that losing streak, well, I mean, they looked all right against those Canadian opponents. Then they, they go and they, uh, they play against San Jose, and it, it's a new new opponent. And they're really measuring themselves against the rest of the league for the first time in over a year since, since everything shut down because they were only playing six teams. And so there's new opponents, there's new challenges. Remember all last year was about building a better defense, right? Like doing the things responsibly to protect the net and do all those things. And for lack of a better way of putting it against the Canadian teams, that was an easier exercise to work on without having 
some difficult results than it was against some of the other teams around the league. So now they're trying to take those habits from before and they're trying to apply them. And it was rough. It was really rough against uh, San Jose, worse against Pittsburgh. In Carolina, I thought it was pretty bad too. But at that point, I, I, I think uh, Keith was in a, in a spot where he just didn't want to put his team's confidence further down than where, where it was. But I mean, their second period in that game from an analytical standpoint was identical to Pittsburgh's, just the goals weren't given up. There were still a lot of odd man rushes going back the other way. Um, and and the Toronto's mid pair on defense has really struggled. Yeah. So, so, so there's that. And then um, against Chicago, uh, the first period was looking very much like it was going to be another one of those nights. It yep. really had that sense and that feel. And even though they came back, it, 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 they didn't look like the vastly superior team. They didn't really come out with the, with that kind of killer instinct when they did tie things up and come back that the game was in the bag for them at all. It was very much a cardiac event where there were still a lot of high danger opportunities for the Hurricanes. I mean, sorry, the uh, Chicago Blackhawks. And, uh, and then just, you know, what what Keith likes to say, and I don't necessarily agree with this, is that once you get to overtime in the shootout, it's a crap. It's a crap shoot. It's like flipping a coin, and yeah. so essentially that's what happened. Uh, the Leafs got the better rush, and William Nylander scored his third goal of the season and the four game losing streak. So uh, there's still a lot to be desired with this team, and even though they they got some relief that they were able to beat a team that hasn't won a game yet. Um, there's there's still a lot to work on, and it's still a lot to be very trepidatious about with this team. Yeah, I mean, it's um, I don't know what the word is. Alarming, disappointing. Um, they seem to, this reminds me of, of something they would have gone through uh, early in the Babcock regime where they were just so fragile. They didn't know what to do. I just, you know, and, and then there appears to be, which is, I don't quite understand this, residue from the playoff elimination last uh, May against Montreal. I mean, to me, that book should be closed and you should have figured out a way how to move on or dealt with the reasons why, cleaned them out and, and moved on. But, but it seems to hang over this team. I mean, that is, uh, to have that cloud over you for 82 games is really tough. Well, it is, and it's weird, and I tried to dissect it myself, and I, I just watched back all the games, and I looked at games from the 2019-20 season where even post-Babcock, they were having these weird games leading up to the pandemic freeze and and, um, and really unusual games where you thought, where, where is this team? Like, I, I, there's all these odd man rushes going back the other way. To me, it actually it actually resembled a lot of Keefe under 2019-20 than, mm. than it's, it did Babcock in the sense that they were still attacking and, and, and playing hard and going to the net, which is part of their identity. But then they were just giving these massive odd man rushes and, and fast breaks the other way and leaving their goalie kind of hanging to dry. So um, I, I look at those games against the Canadian opponents I know I go back to it, but against Montreal and Ottawa, I think there was a comfort there that they 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 had they felt they had it in lock. And then when they go against these American teams now, not because they're American, just because they're new, and it, and it's it's opened them up to really seeing what this team's really about. But yeah. they they go into that and and they kind of have like a deer in the headlights moment with the game against San uh, with against San Jose. The Rangers they were they were better. They were attacking. They just they got goalie by Shesterkin. But then going forward, 
it's starting to resemble the 1920 Leafs, like more so than it did the 2021 Leafs. And I think that's probably more so because this team is playing against the rest of the league and we're getting a better read of what this team is from an overall standpoint. That's my assertion with what's going on here. So are they better than that team? I do think they are. I do think they built some confidence from, from last season, but there's a lot to be desired and, and they got to start looking at some of the players that aren't producing. And I think it comes with that middle pair defense because there's been some plays there where I think I even asked, I asked uh, Jake Muzzin flat out after Pittsburgh, if he was hurt and he denied it, but he doesn't look like the same player. Like it's, it's clear as day that there, there's something going on there. So, so there's, there's a lot. And, and beyond that, the team doesn't have a lot of depth. So they really have a lot of things that they kind of have to deal with right now. Yeah. So you're talking the Muzzin Hall pairing. This is a, a pet peeve I have with the Leafs. Like we can see that there's an issue there. They know what the issue is. I guarantee you they know, but they don't adjust. This, this is a common theme with this team on any subject. There's no adjustment, whether it's in game, whether it's a, you know, a pairing that's not working or whether it's, you know, the, we've seen the left side, the adjustments there, but they seem to be very slow to adjust. And I think that's a big problem. Yeah, it can be. I mean, look, uh, if everyone's healthy and guns are blazing and playing to their assignment, there's no reason why they, they shouldn't be playing the way they are. But as you mentioned, this puck carrying team going attacking the blue line and, and creating a lot of pressure, teams have wise to it. And they've made sure that they're in the right position to take away some of the chances. And then it leads to some holes. And uh, I don't know what they do about it per se. They have to make some sort of changes, but it seems like if they try and throw too much in there, they go away from their identity. And and um, I think there's still this reliance that they should be scoring three goals a game, and they still haven't done that. I think with this with this three goal performance, they're back to an average of two goals a game. They're at one point eight six going in to the game uh, against the Blackhawks, and I think that's what. It's weird because we're seeing the same thing where these there's all these odd man rushes. Yeah. And yeah, okay, if they're scoring, sure, maybe we're not talking about it as much. And you can go back to that identity. But if teams have learned how to neutralize that threat, you got to be better defensively. There's just no bones about it. Well, you know, I, I think that you know another sort of broad stroke analysis would be I think the Leafs are easy to play against. Now, having said that, I think it's the forecheck that really that really bothers them. I don't know how you would. Uh, sort of deal with a hard forecheck that you're facing unless you just did one of your own because of the way the game is played. I mean, it's really up to you to, to take it to the other team. So when the Leafs are in their own zone, they bunch up trying to get out. They get in each other's way. Or you go to the goals that are scored, and the big line is, well, it wasn't a shot. It went off somebody because the guy's in the right position. You didn't move them. So their right. zone coverage is not very good. Right. No, there's that. And then uh, apart from that, when there have been mistakes in zone coverage, they've usually had the speed to kind of get to the guy. Someone like uh, TJ Brody has been really good at takeaways last year and he's being beat. And then there's also errant clearing attempts that are coming in. They're getting the puck. They're trying to, to feed it, trying to do the outlet that they've been doing that had that had success or the carrying out. And they're just having all these unforced errors that are leading to more pressure back in their zone and they're getting away from their identity there because the more they're spending time doing that, the less they're expelling the positive energy, pushing the pace of play the other way. So there's, there's a lot there. Um, I do still think that they think that the offense is the number one issue. 
I don't know if it's the number one issue right now. I think they, they've got to, to spread things around, but it was a very, very tense bunch on this trip. And I can, it was very palpable when you were there, you can feel it in, in some of the ways they were talking and what they were saying. And, uh, you know, in some ways it kind of felt like they they weren't media veils. They were like kind of therapy sessions to push positivity, to try and, to, to try and, uh, see if they can kind of get out of it. And I, I, I don't know the, the Chicago thing, I don't think did enough for Leaf fans to, to feel like they're kind of out of the woods in terms of the severe underlying issues that they're having on the back end for sure. No, I, I totally agree with you. They, they beat a winless team. It took them overtime Saturday. They're going to host Detroit. Detroit won't have Bertuzzi would have played the night before. And I said on the broadcast uh, Wednesday night going in, they could beat Chicago and Detroit. It wouldn't tell me anything. These these are things that are supposed to happen. The following week is where you get the real test. Um, having said that, you're describing a, a situation that's very uncomfortable uh, in terms of the players. And, and again, I go back to I mean, it's great to have the infrastructure, the support, to work with people, but really, I think the sample size is, is long enough and large enough to, to say that they're trying to get people to do things on the ice they're not comfortable with, as opposed to changing the people, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think their assertion is that they always had the skill and they can teach the other things because you can't teach skills. So if you're going to have one or the other, you'd rather the skill and then add these other positional things to players' games and and allow them to progress as they get into their mid-20s and get older. And the, the prevailing theory was when you have these A-level talents, they're only going to get better and more mature while the skill level will always stay elite until they reach their 30s and then there's a bit of a decline that, that, that starts to happen. But so I think that's where they were going. And you know what? From the 16 and 17 year when the Matthews and Marners joined this team, joined the league, that was happening. They were scoring in bunches. They were pushing uh, their way through and they were getting better with each year. And now this has been a kind of a, a reality check for a lot of those guys that uh, you're just not going to have that kind of space now. You're, you're going to have to really push around, do things that kind of force the issue forward and be less predictable to, to kind of bust your way through. And so I get, I get what you're saying. It's with the group where it feels like they're not going to kind of turn around and get things going. I, I don't think it's a problem with necessarily the core. I just think they got stuck by a flat cap situation and made some decisions that haven't allowed them to have a next man up good quality depth whenever there isn't someone picking up the slack. And yeah, I mean, sure. The core four players are, are, are a symptom of it because of what they take up in cap space, but I think it really comes to how they're doing their roster composition. Like right now it's looking like that Nick Ritchie is going to be a two and a half million dollar cap at mistake, like in terms of how they're trying to fill out their roster. And, and I mean, it's, it's starting to become a little bit clearer why Boston didn't qualify the player. I mean, it was mostly because they were able to get Taylor Hall and not have space for him. But usually when it comes to restricted free agents, you, you qualify them because they're assets, even if it's just the rights, it's, having the rights to a player is an asset and they relinquished it. So, so there are some roster composition issues around the core that I think are going to be problems more so than the core itself. Okay. You brought up a, a real interesting point. So Richie, and again, I always preface the, the, uh, the analysis. It's not about the player. He, uh, you know, he was asked to sign, he signed, and then they said, you're going to play up here. 
how anybody could understand how Nick Ritchie plays and put him with Matthews and Nylander or Matthews and Marner is beyond me. He does not have the foot speed. I, I don't know. I don't know in what world that that would exist. And it's, it's not a slight against Ritchie. He's an NHL player, but that is not a fit. No, uh, I mean, I think that they thought at the time that having someone with size would kind of compensate in terms of not having the hymen, not having the puck retrieval guy, but having the size, someone who can thrust their weight around that could play top six is something that they didn't really have. So I think they were willing to give the experiment to try. Uh, and in the, I mean, preseason was the preseason. So it was really hard to evaluate. He looked okay in the preseason, but uh, as, as things started going for real, it was evident that this is not a player who can kind of carry that spot. I like him on that second power play unit in the net. Yes. Like he looks good in that regard. Um, And you know what, with, with Simmons and with Simmons and Spezza, it's a fine fit. I, I don't know if it's because it's reduced minutes, different role or whatever. It's fine. I just, I don't think if, if that was the plan, you were going to spend $2.5 million on a guy when you didn't have a lot of cap space to begin with. And you're committed to next year when you may need that two and a half million uh, to kind of reallocate for if Riley ends up staying or if Jack Campbell gets the big raise, which I mean, right now, how can you not? He's been, there's been a couple of goals, but apart from that, he's been, pretty much the reason they won that game last night too. So um, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of issues from roster composition that they've got to hope to find some cap space fast and hope that maybe the revenues far go up beyond what was projected and predicted with the flat cap. So, because they're going to have some issues trying to keep some guys around. And then once you get to that, then you have Austin Matthews coming up in, in a couple of years from now. So um, that's going to be a tough one as well. So there, there's a lot, there's a lot going on from a compositional standpoint, and you really have to make sure you hit with these guys. They're taking a chance on. I think they felt when they had um, when they had Galchenyuk that it was just going to be that easy to find a top six uh, cheaper experiment that would work in that spot, and so they spent a little more. And what you're seeing is more often than not that experiment doesn't work that you kind of have to build from within. And you look at the Connor Browns, the Zach Hyman's, uh, the guys who are within the system and have had to move on. I mean, Connor Brown's at a really good cap hit right now, and he would be a good spot in that spot for just another mil more. So you kind of have to weigh, yeah. all, weigh all spectrums of it. Well, yeah, and then you, you can go back to they didn't draft those type of players. I mean, obviously, Connor Brown was a draft pick, but they, they needed to, to replenish the stock there to, for this mm-hmm. specific reason. There are a couple of things here that I like. Um, the camp goal last night, if, if they could replay that, posterize it or something, because this is this is the result of, I mean, actually, it's, it's part of a forecheck, but it is offense from defense. Kasia gets the turnover right out to Sandine, quick pass over to camp in the net. I mean, that's, that's what teams do to the Leafs. And that was, that was the kind of goal the Leafs allow. And I thought that was really good. And the other thing is, uh, you know, we're talking about the left side and the line now is bunting Matthews and Nylander, uh, that left winger, I talked about pace, uh, bunting is the guy who will go at 
like create a bit of a forecheck, cause a turnover just by not by because he's stealing the puck off the defenseman because he's in the guy's way. He's taken the, the, the initiative to take two more steps and, and forces his body on the defenseman. And all of a sudden you got a good scoring chance. That's really what we're talking about, isn't it? Yeah. And, and one thing Bunting really did well, not so much during the, the losing streak, but you know, in flashes last night, and in the wins earlier in the season, he was getting to the net. Even that one goal against the Rangers happened because he's right in Shesterkin's grill because he was so dialed in. And, and Bunting was right up in the guy's face and half the net. Like, I believe his leg was like in one of the nets yeah, when the yeah. puck finally went in there. That that was the way you're going to get these goals when times are tough and the goalie is really dialed in. You got to take the eyes away from him. And so what happened against the Blackhawks, can't and the other goal by Tavares are both these weird slot backhand shots that the goalie can't read. Right. Like he really can't because like, if you ever play goal at any level, if you're, you're always looking at where the puck is at the stick and trying to, from a trajectory standpoint, look at where it's going so that you can react at that speed. But when there's a lot of, when there's a lot of traffic in front and you create your own traffic, when you're doing that spin around backhand, then it just gives less reaction time for the goalie to kind of read that puck off the stick. And so um, even with those plays going up in the zone, it was great, but even just making having the wherewithal to just get it at the net when you're kind of losing balance and, and try to get that backhand off just worked wonders for the Leafs. It resulted in both of the goals. So uh, getting to the net, uh, trying to get shots off that goalies are not going to be able to read as well are our key like they really are in terms of trying to establish offense away from your traditional firing it through good shots all that kind of stuff the game evolves you have to change right you have to find ways you got to push ways to get in there and so some things that may have worked not and so you got to try different things by taking the eyes away from the goaltender and so you mentioned bunting yeah like that guy kasha is really fast and he can be a guy who can do that on on that third line, maybe if if things move up, I think that they may try moving them up uh, if they like some of that spot too. But yeah, it's um, it's going to be interesting to see what they do uh, with Richie because that's that's a cap hit, but they could still utilize him in good spots and try and figure out what to do beyond this season after that. All right, is your seatbelt fastened? Your train it's upright position because we're going to play yes guy no guy to end off this conversation. Yes guy no guy number one. The Leafs' slow starts are a major concern. Yes guy. Yeah, I mean, do you want just, me to expand on it? Yeah, yeah, yes. absolutely. All right, okay. So yes guy, they are going to be a concern. A uh, big part of our identity identity was starting on time and and getting getting hard and fast right out of the gate. And these first periods have all not looked really good. Even when they score first, statistically, it's either even or worse, or it really hasn't been a dominating first period. So um, I, I have to say yes, guy, on that. It's definitely a concern. Yes, guy, no guy. That is on the coaching staff. Uh, yeah, they de- they definitely take a lot of the blame on that. They really have to get them dialed in. And sometimes, I don't know if it's what you're saying or how you're getting your guys motivated and trying different techniques. The coaching staff has to play a part in it. I don't think it's all them, but a lot of it is them. They have to take some of the blame. Yes, guy, no guy. We covered this earlier, but, and, and I'm going to phrase this so that it's not a slam against the player. Uh, Nick Ritchie uh, belongs on the Leaf roster, but not on the top six unit. 
Uh, yes, Guy. I mean, I like where he is on that fourth line. Again, we mentioned it. The cap hit might be too much for what that position is, but if it works and uh, he's fine in that regard, maybe they could even try him on the third line if they do need to move a winger up to injury. That That's possible. He was okay as a, as a third liner with Boston. So I think it can he can play a checking role. I, I think it works in that regard. So yes, Guy. Yes, guy, no guy. The Leafs' D zone coverage needs a lot of work. Is there something stronger than yes, guy? Because uh, <laughs> no, that that becomes a hard all capital letters. Yes, guy. Yeah, yeah. There's a, and, and a lot of exclamation marks too. So yeah, uh, yeah there, there there are some real problems on the transition and guys being in the right spot. Um, Muzzin's definitely banged up. Hall is not at the level he was at. Brody's not getting the sticks to take away chances like he was able to before. And there's a lot of unforced errors when they're trying to cycle and, and clear out of their own zone when pressure is coming at them. So uh, a thousand percent. Yes, guy. Yes, guy. No guy. The Leafs could improve their fortunes by applying a very consistent forecheck on the opposition. Yeah. I mean, if they are consistent and they aren't making mistakes, that's only going to put the defense on the other side on their heels. Right. A lot of the times, a lot of what people are getting frustrated about is that they would have the puck along the boards or in the offensive zone or whatever, and there'd be an errant pass, and then right back they're they're spinning their wheels and, and firing back and trying to run the whole 200 feet uh, or skate the whole 200 feet back to the end of the ice. If they were doing what they did during that all-Canadian division season last year where they were pushing and dictating the pace of play, they're not burning themselves out and they look better defensively as a result, too. So, yeah, 100%. Yes, Kyle. David, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks for having me on. Last minute of play in this podcast. All right. Thank you, Mike Ross. So time is now a factor. We're going to play an additional Yes Guy, No Guy. This is solo Yes Guy, No Guy to get us out of here. Yes Guy, No Guy number one. If this kind of play continues, the lease will be forced to make a major move Oh, yes, guy. They're going to have to do something that gets everybody's attention. Fill in the blanks on what that is, but clearly there's an issue here. There's a disconnect on this team, and sometimes you have to do something drastic to get everybody's attention. So something major? Yes, guy. Yes, guy, no guy number two. Core players are speaking up, and that's a good thing. Oh, yes, guy. When you see Austin Matthews on the bench yelling at somebody on his team, that's a good thing. He's involved. He knows what's supposed to happen. It didn't, and he tried to make his teammate accountable. You don't want to see that too often, but once in a while it's good. You like to see the fire from Austin Matthews, one of the least better players, if not the best player. Final yes guy, no guy for this segment. Nylander and Jack Campbell are the best Leafs so far. Well, this is an emphatic yes guy. Are you kidding me? Nylander's showed all kinds of maturity. He showed it in the playoff series against Montreal last spring, and he's showing it again. And Jack Campbell, don't ask me where the Leafs would be without Jack Campbell because I do not have an answer. Hope you enjoy Leafs Guy Season 2, Episode 3. Hope you come back next week for Episode number 4.